listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Welcome to the Integra X-Files, a place where we'll explore and solve for the X-Factor that will help reshape the future of long-term care pharmacy. Join us to discuss topics and insights that will help you discover ways to grow your pharmacy, stay up to date on important legislative and regulatory issues, learn best practices for operating a profitable pharmacy business, and unlock the mysteries of technology. All right. Welcome, everybody, to the Integra X-Files podcast. This is Francis Nahas, one of your hosts this week. I'm here with Ed Vass, who many of you know as my co-host. Ed, why don't you introduce yourself and then introduce our guest this week? Okay. Uh, my name is Ed Vass. I'm the Director of Pharmacy Professional Affairs for Red Cell Technologies, also a practicing pharmacist, so I can uh, relate to the pain that Ryan sees when he sees <laughs> that uh, adjudication come back on this topic. Uh, so our guest today is Ryan Offborough. He's a pharmacist, a pharmacy owner, uh, owns uh, several pharmacies, part of the Kelly Ross Pharmacy Group. And uh, he's going to talk to us a little bit about the, the discussion around PBM reform. So Ryan, why don't you give us a, a quick background? Sure. Well, great. Well, first off, thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Um, uh, as Ed said, uh, my name is Ryan Oftebro. Uh, I'm a pharmacist of uh, about 20 years. I graduated from the University of Washington in 2003, uh, and um, I uh, am the CEO and partner here at Kelly Ross Pharmacy Group in Seattle, Washington. Um, we have five pharmacies that make up Kelly Ross, um, and uh, pretty pretty broad in scope. We we've got a pharmacy inside a busy uh, uh, multidisciplinary clinic. Uh, there's about 120 physicians inside uh, what is the polyclinic here in Seattle. Um, we have a compounding pharmacy where we do both uh, sterile and non-sterile compounding. Uh, we've uh, got a, a long-term care pharmacy that we've uh, just recently uh, moved into an arrangement with Harborview Medical Center um, here in Seattle, uh, we do a lot of really interesting things there. Um, it's not your traditional long-term care, uh, population, although we do have, you know, some, um, you know, some, uh, senior living communities, what, what the majority of what we do at our long-term care pharmacy is we serve, uh, our, our areas, safety net organizations. So Bailey Boucher House, Downtown Emergency Services Center, uh, they're um, organizations that provide supportive housing for people that are uh, either living unhoused or in unstable housing, uh, getting them into stable housing. And then there's a healthcare component that goes along with that. Um, uh, we have a large uh, population of people living with HIV and AIDS. Um, and uh, many of those are uh, unstably housed. So their medication management is crucial <laughs> and very yeah. complex yeah. and requires a lot of uh, unique solutions. Um, and we've just got a, a, a pretty special team here that's very good at uh, creative problem solving and compassionate care. And uh, and then our, our last uh, most recent pharmacy that we opened uh, is here on Capitol Hill. It's in t inside the uh, uh, Seattle LGBTQ plus center. Um, and this is where our um, 
the majority of our clinical pharmacy services occur. Um, and uh, we're very fortunate here in Washington State. Um, we have probably one of the more progressive pharmacy practice acts in the country mm -hmm. that allows us to do a lot of great things. And then also uh, in 2017, uh, we were able to start um, billing as providers uh, on the medical benefits. That's allowed us to create some um, pretty uh, special services here. We've got a, a robust prep clinic um, that's mm -hmm. providing um, uh, HIV prevention to large a uh, group of patients here in the greater Seattle area. Um, we've got a hepatitis C treatment program where our pharmacists actually go out into these communities and kind of searching out the, the most, most vulnerable and probably most difficult to uh, convince to <laughs> seek treatment. Right, um, right. Spending time at uh, uh, needle exchange programs and some of these other, um, you know, uh, um, supportive housing programs um, for for these very vulnerable folks. So uh, a lot of different things that we do here yeah, at Kelly yeah. Ross uh, kind of spans the the spectrum, but uh, it, it's it I, does. I love it, it really <laughs> it really yeah. emphasizes um, how much there's a need in our communities and across the U.S. for for pharmacies that look at things a little bit differently, right? And are going to fill those those gaps in care that you. Place. Absolutely. I, I think that that is, you know, is such a tremendous opportunity for community pharmacists mm -hmm. uh, to kind of step into the, those gaps between mm -hmm. public health and, you know, um, you know, these other health systems. Um, there's there's some holes that people fall through that pharmacy can fill and do very well. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, it so takes how, some courage how do you end to get there? out there. Like, give us a little bit of the, what's oh, the Ryan story on well, land and pharmacy? Oh, God, great question. So Kelly Ross has actually been around uh, serving Seattle since 1925. Um, it, uh, You've got so, the 100-year the anniversary coming up. And... I do. I know. I'm, I <laughs> hope we years? make it. Hope we make it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, you know, it. it it doesn't look a lot like what it did in 1925 yeah. in a lot of respects, yeah. but it, in many ways it does. Um, I, I think Kelly Ross has always been known for kind of being, you know, progressive and thinking out of the box and finding creative solutions. And uh, that's just part of our culture here. But uh, where that came from for me was from my dad, uh, John Oftebro is a pharmacist, and he actually owned Kelly Ross um, since the early 70s. Wow. Um, and so I grew up in the pharmacy, but it was the last thing I ever wanted to do. Funny how that works, right? Yeah. Uh, so I. And then you, you know, grow up and you're like, huh. And then the light bulb goes off. I'm like, oh, man, dad's a lot smarter than I right. give him credit for. Begrudgingly so, admit our parents yeah. actually knew something. Yeah. But, um, you know, I think he, he was and, and continues to be really sort of the or the source of our culture here mm -hmm. at Kelly Ross. And he's, he's retired and, you know, he still pops in every once in a while, but, yeah. uh, you know, just for me personally has been a tremendous mentor and kind of been our, um, for both my partners mm -hmm. and I, you know, kind of, he's been the, the, the inspiration for us to, yeah. you know, like, Hey, we can do this. We can figure this out and, you know, doing, doing the right things for the right reasons. Mm -hmm. And, you know, all the, the business and economics sort of yeah. takes care of itself. Yeah. 
So, yeah. Except when it doesn't, and that's what we're here to talk about today. <laughs> just, just kudos to we we often use the term community pharmacy, and and some people don't understand what that means. But the pharmacists that are part of the community pharmacy, it is the pharmacy in the community. It's not necessarily yeah. it is the the mindset that we take for our patients. Uh, we are part of the community, and that's where we want to be. And you know, absolutely. That's something the big guys can't necessarily do because no. they they've got strict guidelines and uh, uh, quotas that they have to meet, and uh, they can't do what that community pharmacist can. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Ryan, let's softly then into the topic of, you know, what what's changed. You've seen a lot of change, right, in um, mm-hmm. the years you've been kind of officially part. Kelly Ross, but probably much longer because you've seen it your whole life. Let's let's think, you know, like what are the things that have changed dramatically, particularly in terms of, you know, how how a pharmacy stays afloat? Yeah. Well, <laughs> I I guess on one hand, nothing's changed in that, you know, and talking to my dad about the challenges that he had um, you know, in the early days not a whole lot different than what we're facing today, but I think what's, what's different now is the pace of the change. Mm -hmm. So it's, you know, he might have, you know, one big, you know, hurricane blow through every few years that forces you to really uh, readjust, realign, reinvent yourself. um, And, you know, kind of, modify your your business model to fit the the changes in the landscape it feels like now it's just this constant barrage of of change and you know constraints from <laughs> the regulatory side yeah. and the the payment side and everything else and it just you know we have to be in this constant state of sort of balancing on one foot ready to you know kind of move wherever wherever the the external forces push us um so i i think it's just having to be much more nimble and agile mm-hmm. and you know willing to live in this state of stress and not let it make you insane yeah <laughs> <laughs> where change is norm, the normal, right? And it is. Responding it is. Yeah. Constantly to yeah. outside pressures. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us how PBMs play a role in that. Well, uh, like just about everybody else, we're, you know, we're highly dependent on um, on third party payment. And mm-hmm. it's, it's not that we want to be, but you know, we want to take care of our communities And that means, you know, using (laughs) the insurance resources that they have. And I I think that's always been a source of pride that, you know, we've we've said yes to anybody that comes in our doors um, and, you know, have not turned anybody away for, um, you know, like we will take all insurance plans. Um, Mm -hmm. And that that used to be a, a, a pretty straightforward decision to make, but it's it's not the case anymore. Um, but we've we have to do that in order to be able to make medications accessible for our community. If they're not able to use that insurance benefit, 
um, you know, how are they going to access this care? So we, you know, we've kind of been obligated to to accept these third party payments. But um, I think, like everyone, we've sort of seen the the winds shifting. And about four or five years ago, uh, we made a concerted effort to uh, shift our business model away from our reliance on third party payments. You know, we we can't drop them altogether, mm-hmm. but there's there's certainly a lot of other opportunities out there, and I I mentioned our ability to um, you know to um, be recognized as providers and bill medical insurance. Um, that works very differently, yeah, than, yeah, than PBMs <laughs> do, and you know I think we've been very fortunate to just sort of be in the right place at the right time with some of the services that we're able to provide to our community. It's it's turned into a, a very sustainable and viable business model. So our, our prep clinic um, in this um, most recent pharmacy that we opened, it has four patient care rooms. We have, you know, a, a number of uh, pharmacist providers that have full panel of patients every day. We, um, and, you know, it's the, and what they're able to bill um, on the, on the medical side for those provider visits is totally supporting that work has nothing to do with the dispensing of the drug, which is very fortunate. Um, So we've been able to kind of grow some, some segments of our business that are independent of third party reimbursement. And I think that's, that's really helped us diversify and, and be a lot more flexible as an organization. Yeah. When, when you think of the working with the sort of PBMs and you say, you know, we, you accept all of them because it's the Mm -hmm. only way you can care for all of the patients you want to care for. Mm -hmm. Um, What are some of the things, and this might be a loaded question. um, Are there things that PBMs do well where you're like, Hey, these ones we actually are okay working with because we know we can do X, Y, and Z. And are there things that just really, cause challenges as you think about what some of their oh, processes sure, are. Sure. Well, I mean, they they do different things and there's one element to what they do that is necessary. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, that's the, you know, that administrative transaction. Yep. But, you know, they've uh as we know, the the large PBMs have developed their own business opportunities within that work Mm -hmm. that is very harmful to not only to patients, um, but the pharmacies that are providing their care. Um, So yeah, there's, you know, there are certainly um, aspects to what the PBMs do that are necessary. Um, Mm -hmm. And I I think an example of that, you you know, mentioned what, what do some do well? We're also an employer. Um, so I have 50 employees and, you know, we, we are able to, uh, actually manage our own employees, health care benefit as a self-funded plan. And so we've gone out and we've sourced our own medical benefit and we've gone and we've found our own PBM and, um, you know, we found a, a PBM that we can work with. They're transparent. They do all the things that a PBM should be able to do at a reasonable price. And like, okay, why, why can't it all work like this? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. But we know why there's some, yeah, there's some, yeah, yeah, there's some 
big, um, you know, economic incentives for the PBMs to manage things in a non-transparent way. Yeah. Uh, and that, that is the heart of the problem. And it's funny, the transactional piece I always think about, cause I, you know, worked on the, the medical side for a long time. And I would tell you, doctors would love to get paid with the speed that a pharmacy kind of claim goes through, right? That, you know, right away <laughs> for yeah. the most part, be, you know, right be away. Be careful right? what you ask for. Right, right? Yeah. This, is, this is exactly it, right? So it's, it always um, is sort of fascinating. It comes quick and see. it goes quick too. Yes. <laughs> well, that, it comes that quick. Three and, months later, they say, oh yeah, we paid you too much. We won't Right, and they back. take it back, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and, it, you know, it, it gives them a lot of control, right? Because yeah. it's just, it is what they say it is a lot of times. Um but the the complexity and the the amount it's drawn out sometimes on the medical side, right? You have the True. the reverse problem. Yeah, and, and we see that on our in our clinic services. You know, we've we've mm -hmm. gotten to learn all about how that side works. How medical it's just, it's works. different. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's very different. And I think that as more pharmacists are um, kind of getting into this space, you know, they're going to have to figure out that model because it it it's not going to look anything like. Uh, how pharmacy benefits work, but right, yeah, it's very that's a good very thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, ideally, right, we could figure out a way to kind of solve both of them for the better, but one step at a time. Yeah. So, so Ryan, I, I did get a chance to listen to you uh, give your testimony yeah. uh, before the Senate, and I, I think uh, probably the one of the things that should have hit home with everybody, it definitely did with me, was because. Because of some of these PBM actions, uh, they prevent you from taking care of your community. I think yeah. you had to make a real hard decision there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, w one of the glaring issues that we've run into is, um, as I mentioned, you know, we have a large population of people living with HIV mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, a large panel of patients that are on HIV prevention. And when one of the big three PBMs um, arbitrarily moved uh, HIV medications and uh, PrEP medications into the specialty category, um, we had to make a very difficult decision because they were forcing us down a road. Um, and I, I fully believe they intended us to just to make it too difficult and that we'd walk away um, so they could steer those claims into their own uh, specialty pharmacy. Um, but they, you know, they forced us into uh, a new specialty contract. We had to go through third-party accreditation, which we did, you know, navigated yeah. all of that. Um, but we had to agree to all of these things before we could even see a contract. And uh, they forced us out of our PSAO um, and forced us into a direct contract. And lo and behold, once we actually uh, got the contract, it was much worse than our re Shocking retail night. contract. Yeah. yeah. And uh, then they com continued to play games. Um, you know, once Truvada went, went generic, um, they they moved it off the specialty table without telling us. And of course, the, you know, the, the reimbursement for their specialty generics um, and and non-specialty were very different. And they just move these things back and forth arbitrarily for their own economic gain. Yeah. And, you know, that it, it, it was a huge financial impact for us. 
um, that, you know, we, we weathered, but it hurt. And, um, you know, I don't know that a lot of pharmacies would choose or be able to do that and they would have to turn patients away. And we know on that provider side, we do have patients that are in a mandatory mail program mm -hmm. for their, for their prep and it, it gets messed up all the time and they as providers will need to reinitiate somebody on prep. Uh, that means, you know, they need to go back and restart all of the lab work. And that's a cost to, the, you know, our state's Medicaid system because these are managed Medicaid plans. Uh, and it's just, you know, or, or, you know, if somebody has commercial, it's, it's a cost to their medical plan when they have to reinitiate these uh, therapies because they, went without their medications. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a classic mess. example of looking at the cost in a silo, right? So like the Correct. individual cost of the drug, the Medicaid plans probably saying like, look, it's cheaper to do it. Yep. You know, they're offering me a lower price over yep. mail order without understanding the implications of Correct. all of the costs that go into that. Yeah. Correct. Correct. Yeah. So how'd you, how'd you end up testifying on the Hill? Uh, good question. Um, I, and, uh, you know, this kind of goes back to all of the the great mentoring I had from my father, as well as some other very important <laughs> pharmacists uh, in my life. Uh, and so I've always understood that I've got a duty to be engaged in my profession and to advocate for my profession. So I think since pharmacy school, I was going down to Olympia, our state capital, mm -hmm. um, you know, to meet with lawmakers uh, and, you know, talk about pharmacy issues. But, you know, I've just you know, grown to understand the importance of relationship building. And um, so this was just kind of the culmination of uh, a lot of time spent messaging in this case senator cantwell's office yeah um and being involved with our state pharmacy association uh, i am the immediate past president of our of our of the washington state pharmacy association and um so i've been engaged in leg legislative efforts there and along with jenny arnold who is the ceo of our state association um you know we've been speaking with senator cantwell's staffers about you know, some of these issues and they started reaching back out to us and asking questions. And um, so then last August, um, one of her staffers reached out to me and said, hey, Senator Cantwell is uh, working on some legislation. She wants to have a kind of a round table and would like you to come join this round table to discuss this issue. And I, I said, that's great. I would absolutely love to do it. When is it? He said, it's this Thursday. I said, great. Where is it? Well, we're still looking for a location. We'd like to have it in a pharmacy, but we can't seem to find one. I'm like, well, well I have one. <laughs> Surprise. I've got a couple. <laughs> so, um, so that all of that happened very quickly. Um, and so we wound up having this uh, roundtable event and a press conference at our new pharmacy there on Capitol Hill uh, in uh, where our clinic is. Yeah. And uh, I was I was struck by how well informed Senator Cantwell was on these issues. She wasn't just walking in cold and, you know, I wasn't yeah. having to explain things 
from what PBM a PBM is and what, yeah, yeah. She, she already got it, and she was pulling apart the issues and explaining them back to other people in the room. <laughs> and yeah. well, it was it was very impressive. Um, and so that that was fantastic. Yeah. Uh, so that that was kind of the start of that conversation. And then we've had a few more exchanges over the last several months with her staffers. Um, and then when this hearing came up, it was the same thing. It all came about very quickly. Uh uh, they reached out looking for people that be willing to come back to D.C. and testify. And I think that was on a Thursday and like the next Tuesday I was headed to D.C. Um, and uh, and so all of that happened very quickly. But yeah. it was the result of kind of being involved, being yeah. involved, being engaged, building relationships, building relationships with their, you know, their legislative aides and staffers. <laughs> keeping them informed on issues, just kind of feeding them like, hey, you know, now that, you know, we know who the people are in her office to contact, hey, I've had this happen. I think this is something that the senator should be aware of. And, you know, you just never know when the right thing is going to land, but you just have to be persistent with it. Yeah. So what do you take away from the conversation on the Hill? Sort of any insights for you as you think about the dynamic and um, I, I left with a sense of optimism, um, which, which is I don't, often not easy to do walking away from correct. a government proceeding. <laughs> yes. And I mean, I've, I've done things like this before, not in DC, yeah. but at our state capital where I just, you know, I leave feeling frustrated or yeah. <laughs> whatever. Um, but I, I think just hearing the questions uh, as a as a panelist, the questions I was getting, the questions other panelists were getting from both sides of the dais, you know, yeah. Democrats and Republicans, they all seemed engaged on this issue. They seemed to understand the problem. They they may be looking at it through different lenses or coming at it from different positions. But they all seem to truly understand the value of community pharmacies um, and and what what those pharmacists do for for patients and you know their their constituents. Yeah. So they they articulated that they got it. Okay. Um, what what they do with it remains to be seen. But you know since since that hearing there was subsequently you know the, the house launched their own uh, kind of investigation uh, the finance committee just had a hearing last week. There's like multiple uh, lines of effort that are 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 looking at this issue. Um, the 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 transparency bill, Senator Cantwell and Senator Grassley's bill, uh, it passed out of committee. They actually added an amendment that I think was the result of of our hearing because it added some very good. Um, pieces to that piece of legislation. So all of that, I think, is a reason to be optimistic. Um, it's still D.C. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who knows? Um, and I, I think that there is a lot of uh, reluctance on uh, the part of of the Republican Party to uh, give the Federal Trade Commission any more authority. Mm -hmm. um, 
Senator Grassley spoke to that in his opening remarks, and he, you know, he went to great lengths to uh, state that this this bill does not expand FTC powers. It so, just uses yeah. So but, tell us a little bit. So for folks who don't know, kind of what that means relative to this bill. So what's what's the power they fear FTC would get, and and how's it relate to PBMs? I, I don't know if I can answer that. Exactly. Specifically, yeah. but that you know what what I understand is that you know <laughs> the FTC is is a you know a political landscape yeah. right now that that uh, that they're fighting over power. Um, you know this the we we as pharmacists we want the FTC to you know, use its authority to look into PBM business practices that we believe are anti-competitive. Um, and, you know, I, I think that's the crux of the issue. Mm -hmm. It's like, can, can they do that with their existing authority or do they need to be granted additional authority to do that? I don't know the answer to that question. Uh, I just... There's probably hundreds of lawyers no, to debate happen. that question right, <laughs> every right. day in D.C. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think one of the encouraging things is the, the fact that we've got so many different groups that are interested now. I mean, we got the Senate Committee on Finance, we got the Senate Committee on Commerce, Science, and Transportation, we've got House committees, we got the FTC looking. And you know, a little plus is these attorney generals, state attorney generals that tried over the last several years to do something and, and they just got wiped off off the calendar. Now they've got this national attention and it's giving yeah. them a little bit more credibility to hopefully readdress some of the things that they've been trying to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So how, you know, because you, you run sort of a variety of pharmacies and, and this podcast in particular tends to be targeted towards long-term care pharmacies. We've obviously mm -hmm. got within Red Sale, um, a huge business focused on yeah. uh, community retail pharmacies. Can you talk a little bit about sort of the, the impacts and how they might differ between long-term care and community or or is it pretty much the same regardless? Well, I mean, I think any any pharmacy that's billing third party insurance uh, is is impacted by these issues. Um, long term care can be a little bit different, um, and depending on the business mix, you may have a lot of Medicare Part D. Mm -hmm. um, you know, one of one of the issues, and this is slightly slightly different, but. I think that uh, is one that, you know, we need to communicate to our lawmakers um, was what happened with TRICARE. And um, yeah. and I'm a veteran. <laughs> this yeah. is important to me. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we have we have patients in our long term care pharmacy that we provide adherence packaging for that. You know, with with the flick of a switch, you know, we we lost access to. And again, it's like these are some of our most vulnerable population. Mm -hmm. They they need these services in order to manage their medications. And you know, asking them to do things differently it puts a tremendous burden on the patient. Um, not only you know losing their relationship with their their trusted pharmacist 
providing a service service that allowed them to live somewhat independently or you know in a in a uh, long-term care community that you know could manage their medications the way that they need to um, I, I think that that uh, was something that really didn't didn't wasn't spoken to enough um, yeah. during during that whole issue and it's still ongoing right. um, but you know I, I think our lawmakers need to understand that hey these these long-term care pharmacies there there's not a lot of them and mm-hmm. so that may be why we don't get as much attention but the service that we're providing is crucial yeah. and you know need, needs to be attended to right right and isn't you know it's it's interesting when you look at long-term care too because it is a um there's fewer of them and it's a incredibly diverse group of pharmacies to your point of sort of yeah you know the things you do are in your long-term care pharmacy are pretty unique relative yeah. to some of the others and we see that you know, as we look across the number of long-term care pharmacies that are customers, um, yeah. it's a really diverse group of pharmacies and they do a lot of different things that aren't thought about, you know, yep. day-to-day when we think about healthcare. Yeah. And, you know, I, I made the comment earlier that we we sort of have to take all comers and that's mm-hmm. especially true in long-term care. Like, yeah. you know, long-term care pharmacies, they, they, they need to take every contract out there in order to serve the facilities that they serve. I mean, that's that's yeah. an expectation. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think that puts puts those pharmacies in a much more vulnerable population or, or vulnerable position uh, because we don't have the ability to just say, I'm not going to take that contract. Right. Um, you know, it's 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 often a, a mandate from the facilities yeah. <laughs> that we serve. Like, well, if you yeah. don't take it, I'll find somebody else who will. Um, yeah. So that's that's uh, uh, particularly difficult for long-term care pharmacies. Yeah. So what would you advise folks? You know, we we often talk. Mm-hmm. Um, we like to sort of end this podcast with a with an X factor, right? Like, what's the thing that you would tell folks um, to do differently or to be mindful of? Um, you know, as you think back, what would you advise folks? Um. Understand the importance of relationship building, mm-hmm. um, and that is, you know, not not only with your lawmakers, although that's important, um, but also, you know, building relationships with, um, you know, other groups within your community um, that are stakeholders, you know, that have a vested interest in patient care. Um, so I'm thinking in our case, you know, we've we've built relationships within uh, our state health care authority, the Department of Health, uh, King County Public Health. You know, just building these strong relationships means that when I have an issue, I can turn to them to help lend their voice to finding a solution. Um, so when it's not just pharmacy showing up in favor of a bill, but you've got patient advocacy groups, you've got public health, you've got, you know, these other entities um, that can say, hey, this this is an important issue and we need to solve it. I think we're going to have a lot more success. And then the the other part of that, I think, is our messaging and um, what I feel very strongly um, that we as pharmacists need to be mindful of is that 
nobody really cares about our economics. So, <laughs> so, yeah. so when we we do, we, I would like to we say do. Well, we really care about. <laughs> well, absolutely. We want you to but be successful. When, when we're going and speaking with lawmakers or other decision makers, yeah. we've got to stop making about our economic issues, and we need to go into these conversations as patient advocates, mm -hmm. talking about access. Yeah, and. I, I think when we make our, our message about, you know, hey, we're here fighting on behalf of our patients' access to these services, um, that's going to be much more effective message than, hey, my reimbursement is terrible. Yeah. You know, uh, who cares? Yeah, like that's, the, that's, we're, that's a really the, everybody, great point. right? Yeah. You know, everybody's got economic problems and yeah. it's just, it's not going to, it's not going to win hearts and minds but yeah. when we can make this about hey you know i can't care for my patients um because of the way that this system right. is working or you're um, making it I think that's more be expensive to care for patients um yeah correct like i i get you know and we obviously understand how those those are linked right of if mm -hmm. if you're not able to have a successful living running a pharmacy like the pharmacies are just going to go away over time, yeah. right? And, yeah. and patients lose that access, right? Those two things are intricately linked. But yeah, yeah it's at the end of the day, it's and it's tough, you know, talk, talking to, you know, some lawmakers or even folks within like the, you know, within our state healthcare authority who runs our Medicaid program. Yeah. It's like you guys have been saying this forever, but you keep taking the contracts. And it's it's almost like, you know, we've we've cried wolf too many times yeah. <laughs> but you know i'm like well you know i i'm here on behalf of the pharmacies that aren't in existence anymore yeah um you know right and there's a lot and of them Surprise. there are a lot of them yeah. there are a lot yeah. of them um so yeah awesome ed any yeah any yeah, thoughts you'd add on yeah but i i got two burning questions to ask and they Go for it. <laughs> yeah. Well, when we talk about transparency, one of, one of the things I said, yeah, you mentioned the fact that the contracts are horrible because we don't know what's in the contract until after we sign it. And then it's, you know, they can do anything. They Which want. is an mm -hmm. incredible feat of legal engineering. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But uh, one of the things that was mentioned in the, uh, the Senate Committee on Finance was somebody brought up AWP. And, you know, these contracts are based on AWP. And, AWP is a nebulous figure now. I mean, <laughs> you there, you know, most manufacturers don't list AWP anymore. So it, it's a calculated thing. So I know our in South Carolina, our state Medicaid, the fee for service plan went to NADAC. How do you mm -hmm. feel about that? Um, great question. Um I <laughs> Uh, I'm hoping I don't get pilloried by <laughs> my pharmacy colleagues, but I I think it's the way to go. Uh, I think I think a NADAC and you know there's people smarter than me that can figure out what this should be. For for but, folks who don't know, can you define AWP and NADAC? 
average wholesale price, right? AWP. Sure. And, AWP is the, you know, fictitious yeah. like MSRP for a car <laughs> right, is the example. Right. It, it it means nothing. Because it's um, never it's actually a, sold at that, right? It's never sold at that. And but it's what all the PBMs use as the benchmark that right. you know is highly abusable. Um NADAC is probably the closest thing to pharmacy acquisition cost. Um, and, uh, and so it's the national average drug acquisition cost, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. uh, but it, you know, it's, I, th I think is proving to be the closest thing we can get to, to pharmacies, actual acquisition costs. Our problem in Washington state right now, and I'll, I'll get a little, <laughs> get on my soapbox here, <laughs> um, uh, in Washington State, we, we've got a problem with our uh, um, uh, our state plan amendment for our Medicaid program. Um, went to NADAC, but it was supposed to be NADAC plus a reasonable dispensing fee, but they kept it at the previous dispensing fee, which is not good. Yeah. Uh, we have we have the lowest reimbursing Medicaid program in the country, and it's by a, a wide margin. So that's why I'm kind of hedging on, I, I like NADAC, but I think the right model is NADAC plus a percentage, and I'll explain that, plus a dispensing fee. Yeah. And that's going to protect against high dollar brand drugs with that percentage, because in Washington state, uh, in addition to our carrying costs, um, you know, when we have to purchase these expensive brand drugs that there's a cost. Mm -hmm. uh, in Washington State, we also pay a, a B&O tax, a business and occupation tax. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> and so it's a percentage off uh, gross. Okay. So so with our current um, mo Medicaid model in Washington State, um, it's NADAC plus $4.25. So okay. we have a hep C clinic. So when I have to dispense a $15,000 yeah. box of Maverick, um, you know, I'm paying 50 or $60 in taxes and I'm only hitting $4 and 25 cents as a dispensing fee. Got it. Yeah. It's a problem. Yeah. So having the right percentage to cover those overhead costs, which right. are real on the expensive brand drugs, and then, you know, a reasonable dispensing fee to cover on the very cheap generics. Yeah. Um, I think that's a fair model and a sustainable yeah. model. Yeah, um, and it it goes back to your point of right the the strategies are designed to drive mm -hmm. those higher cost meds to the PBM, right? To drive them to the yeah. pharmacy, right? So it's, yep. it's designed essentially to say, hey, you guys take care of the cheap generics because we don't want to deal with them anyway. We'll take yeah. the expensive. We'll take the expensive yeah. brand drugs and we'll get the margin on that, right? That's how yeah. do you level the playing field so that it, yeah. you know, yeah. everyone. And all of, it, all of that needs to get right-sized. And, you mm -hmm. know, I think we're particularly sensitive to that in the long-term care where, yeah. you know, there's, it's a different model and we've got different, different costs of dispense in our long-term care yeah. uh, operations than we do in, in retail. So, yeah. you know, it's, it's not a one size fits all, but I think that type of model uh, offers enough flexibility that, you know, we can keep pharmacies whole um, mm -hmm. and, and sustainable. Yeah. All right, Ed, what was the second burning question? Well, I, 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 uh, 
pinned him into the wall on that one. So I'm, I'm going to back <laughs> off on the next one. What, what I will do is, is uh, I do hope to see you and meet you in person at the, the NCPA legislative fly-in in just a few weeks. Uh, that's the uh, ASCP is the 25th, and then NCPA is the 26th and 27th. So for uh, everybody that's listening, uh, we still have room in Washington for you. Uh, if we get enough pharmacists in Washington for this meeting, we will raise the average level of understanding. Yeah, totally <laughs> agree. And it's an amazing experience. If you haven't, if you haven't gone to D.C. and met with your lawmaker in D.C., it, it's a must do. Um, and now more than ever, uh, it's it's vitally important. But it it's really <laughs> it's an amazing experience. Yeah. And um, yeah, you know, it's uh, I, I, I think it's something that we all have a, a duty to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's it's well worth the time. Yeah, I, I, I've been fortunate. Um, so you mentioned you were uh, immediate past president of your state association. I was the president of our state association in 2016, and I've been to the legislative fly-in every year since then. And uh, it's pretty cool because now if I don't go or they don't see me, they send me an email asking me who I was. That's a good thing. But it, it does, it makes it more personal. Um, I think when you can look your senator eye to eye or your representative yeah. eye to eye and, and help them understand that, yeah, it's not so much about the survival of my pharmacy business, but taking care of my patients, which will then take care of my business. Um, yeah, yeah, so. yeah. Agreed. I'll also say I harken back to when I interned on the Hill, and I'll say something contrarian, which is the uh, the process of government is incredibly slow and frustrating, and also. Um, my experience on the Hill was always representatives and senators actually love spending time with constituents. They At do. the end of the day, that's the thing that, that actually, it's the same way, you, you know, yeah. everyone here feels about patients is actually how most of them feel about constituents. And so, you know, they'd rather spend time doing that than navigating the bureaucracy of, of our government processes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah totally, totally agree. Um, and you know, the, the, the process is slow and frustrating, but we can't let that frustrate us. Right. Yeah. Um, we've we've got to stick with it. And getting back and seeing them in D.C., but then also knowing when they're out of session, yeah. they're home and they want to get out and visit their constituents. Invite yep. them to your pharmacy yeah. and they will come. Um, I've actually had Senator Cantwell come twice now over the years, yeah. and that's without probably putting in near the effort that I should to invite her. Yeah. Um, so and if not them, know, I, they're legislate, right? They've got offices in both places. Got, so they usually have absolutely. a bigger office in their home district. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and do do that with, with your U.S. representatives and your, your state representatives mm -hmm. as well. And, you know, invite them into your pharmacy, show them because if you don't, what's their pharmacy experience? You know, it's CVS, right? It's probably and, CVS and going to pick up a prescription, yeah. you know, one-time prescription. And yeah. And that they're, they're going to draw their conclusions from that experience. Yeah. And we know there's much more to our story than that. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's, but I'm now, I sort of laugh every time we do this because somehow we always walk our way back around to 
advice that is like, go get to know your representatives. It really helps. It is a frequent theme on this podcast. Yeah. Well, awesome. Um, Ed, any other burning questions? No, no, I, I, that's it. Uh, I, 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 as a fellow pharmacist, I really appreciate you yeah. taking the time and, and making the commitment to to educate or to educate our legislators. Um, and uh, I, I appreciate it. I really yeah. do. Yeah. Thank Ryan, you. Any I final appreciate words? the opportunity. Uh, just get engaged. Be persistent. Don't. Don't uh, we can't do it all by griping on social media, yeah. right? We've we've got to get out there and build relationships, uh, and you know, tell our story in a, a compelling way. And you know, it's we're we're in this for the long haul, and yeah. uh, you know, we can't expect immediate results, but uh, it's we we've got to fight the good fight. Yeah. Perfect. Well, awesome. We really appreciate it. I want to make one last fun plug because I know you're a sailor. So if you don't know the history of the Red Sail name, it uh, it basically is emblematic of this podcast. So the Red came from South Carolina and the Sail came from, we have a bunch of employees uh, in Washington State who are sailors. So a uh, little nod to that's where the name Red Sail All right. actually comes I, from. A genuinely there. kind of a sailboat <laughs> theme. I love it. I love <laughs> it. Thank you. I feel, awesome. I feel right at home. There you go. Good. Perfect. All right. Well, thank you so much. We really appreciate the time. My pleasure. And have a great day. Thanks for listening to the Integra X-Files. We'd like to hear from you and gain your perspective on the X-Factor and improving long-term care pharmacy. Connect with us at IntegraXFiles.com. That's IntegraXFiles.com.